Tonight, we're going to be talking about who you really are. Not what you do, but who you are. So tonight's message is titled, Be Who You Are. You just be you. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be something else. You be who you are. Now, in order for you to be who you are, it starts with understanding who it is that you are and how God made you. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 and 2 Corinthians 5.17 are two of the most important, it's hard to say most important because all scripture is God-breathed and then they're all important, but they're very important scriptures, let me put it that way. They're all important, but these are two I'm going to highlight tonight. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation, a brand new species of being, one that never existed before. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone, now, all of us in this room qualify, right? Because anyone is anyone. So if anyone be in Christ, how do you, how do you get in Christed? Okay, if you're going to be in Christ, how do you get to be in Christ? Well, being in Christ is a decision that you make, number one, to make him Lord of your life and then to continue in him. Not just to make a decision one time and then just do whatever you want, but to make that decision, to make Jesus Lord of your life through a decision and then to continue in him. As you begun, continue in him, it says in 1 John. So that's how you become in Christ and that's how you walk in Christ. So that promise is for those who are in Christ. So it's a decision that you make, and it's a decision that you make on a continual basis. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, if you can put that one up, 2 Corinthians 5, there you go. For me, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to become or to be sin for us. He became sin. He became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, do you earn righteousness? Based on that scripture, do you earn righteousness? I don't think we really have a whole lot to do with the righteousness because in that scripture it says, God made Jesus who never sinned to pay the price of sin so that we who did sin could be righteous like Jesus was to begin with. So it's like, it's the great exchange. He made him who was perfect, and he had us who was anything but perfect, and he gave our crumminess to Jesus, and he gave us Jesus' perfection, and that was the exchange. It was a bad deal for him, a great deal for us, and a great deal for him too, because he loved us and he wanted to redeem us. But the exchange of righteousness is not our doing. It was completely done by God. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness 
is something that we receive as a gift through faith. It's not something that we earn. It's not a behavior that we do. It's not something that we somehow attain because we live so good, so therefore we're more righteous today. No, we, righteousness is a gift from God. Because why? Because he gave us the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us. He made him that knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This righteousness is not attainable by, it's not attainable through your obedience to any law, rule, or any kind of, any kind of um, schematic. You can't get there. There's not a way. You can't get from here to there on your own. It's unattainable. It's not possible for us to become the righteousness of God by obeying laws, by doing things, by having our hair a certain length, by having for women to have their skirts a certain length. No, nothing like that. All those things are fine, but you don't get righteous by doing those things. That's not how you attain righteousness. It's unattainable by obedience. Because in Christ, all that God requires of man, in Christ, all that he requires, he gives it to us. He says, this is what's required of you. Now, here, you can have it all. It's a free gift. And you sit there and you go, really? And, and so many of us, when we look at ourselves or we look at our behavior, we look at our, the way we do things, the way we think, we, we tend to behave like Paul did in Romans chapter 7 where he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who, can, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Anybody ever had that thought? I, I, I'm a pro at that thought, okay? Oh, wretched man that I am. Knucklehead, what'd you do that for, Right? But see, that's when we judge ourselves by our own performance or our own abilities or our own, our own merit. We can't judge by our own merit. We've got to look at this and say, it's because in Christ, I have met the requirements in Christ. Not in my own performance, in Christ. Because in Christ, I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man are effectual. They're, they make things happen, right? It says the fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous man avails much. Now, which means it gets stuff done. I remember <clears throat> back in 1985, I was first saved, and I found that scripture. I found 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I found James I believe that's James 5, where it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And I said, he's made me righteous. It says the prayers of a righteous man are really powerful. Wow, I've got powerful prayers. Because you add two plus two equals four, right? So he's made me righteous. It says that the righteous person's prayers are powerful. That means, wow, my prayers are powerful. Right? And if you, sometimes we forget that our prayers are powerful. Sometimes we forget that when we pray, God actually listens. 
He actually listens. And when we pray according to the word, he actually does what he said he would do. It's not just a, a, you know, throwing a penny in a wishing well. He actually will do what he said he would do. If, if we will stand on his word, you'll see some pretty crazy good things. If we'll, if we'll just stand on his word. We even look at Romans chapter 4. I know in my notes I said 5-3. It's Romans 4-3. It says, I'm talking to the sound man back there. I gave him the wrong scripture reference. So if he puts up the wrong one, it's not his fault, it's my fault. It says, if Abraham was justified by his own works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does it say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him or credited to him as righteousness. Now, <clears throat> when, when Abraham believed God, he had faith in God. You know what it says? It says that God gave him and treated him as if he had fulfilled all the requirements of the law. When we believe God and we, when we accept the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, and we're in Christ, God will treat us as though we have kept every single commandment that we have never done anything wrong, that we are absolutely right and absolutely perfect, even though we know we haven't been. That's called grace. He gives us access to himself when in our own, in our own ability, in our own performance, there is no way we could ever have access to God. There, <clears throat> there's no way we could ever enter the presence of God on our own, in our own strength, but because of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made and because we trust him, we have access to God because he treats us as though we have kept every, it, he treats us as though we've kept every law he's ever um, put out, even though we know we haven't. He has given us grace. He sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ, not through the lens of of our own performance. That's a good thing. Another scripture that talks very specifically about this, because righteousness and holiness are, are kind of like twins. The, the uh, Greek word hagiosmos, hagiosmos, probably slaughtered that, sorry, just means holiness. Another translation says sanctification. Now, if you have been around Christianity very long, you've heard the word, oh, I've been sanctified, okay? It just means set apart. That's all it means. Now, the question is, if something is holy or sanctified or set apart, you have to get back to the, the, the meaning of that word and why it is it's used. If something is sanctified, holy, or set apart, who is the one that sets it apart? Do you set, or do you set it apart or does, has God set you apart? I think it's God that sets us apart and you can choose to stay set apart, but originally it's God who chooses to set us apart. You know, for instance, 1 Peter, if you, if you look, if you turn to 1 Peter, or put it up there, 1 Peter 1, 13, it says, 
Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, a lot of people look at that and they, they look at that particular verse and they say, see, it's all about you living holy. It's all about you doing it because it says, be holy as I am holy, okay? Well, here's the good news. The good news, he has given you the ability to be holy as a gift. You can be, he has called you to be sanctified, to be set apart because when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, when you live close to God and when you receive what God has for you, it's a sanctification or holiness is a state predetermined by God for believers into the grace that he calls them. And they begin their Christian course to pursue it. So he puts us on a course. That's God's part. He takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, puts us into the kingdom of his dear son, and sets us on a road. But it's a road that like has you know, sides, and he wants us to go down this road, and we have to kind of try to get off the road. Now, we can, we can get off track. We've all been off track. It's called sin. But God's goal and God's purpose for, is for us to stay on his track, stay on his road, and to be separated unto him. It's the gift of righteousness, and it's his positional holiness that it sets us on that right path. It's about God's grace toward us. So what is, the, what, is the, what is the goal here? What are we trying to get to? That we have been positionally made righteous, and you have been positionally made holy or set apart, and we need to live and be who we really are. That's who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And as the righteousness of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus, you look at those other things and you look at that and say, that's not who I am, right? I mean, there were times in my life before I knew Jesus, I did things I'm not real proud of. But you know what? Those things aren't part of my life anymore. Why? Because that's not who I am anymore. I don't struggle with, oh, I think I'm going to go get drunk tomorrow. No, I don't at all. I haven't drank in 33 years at all, at all. Why? Is it a struggle? Not at all. It's easy. Used to be very difficult. I drank a lot, but... When I got saved, that stopped, and I'm, that's not who I am anymore. See, you live out of who you are, not through a bunch of rules, but because you've been transformed by the power of God. Pastor Dwayne says, your want to or changes. That's, that's, a, that's a nice way of saying your nature has been changed. We need to live from the inside out. Righteousness and holiness is not behavior it's a state of being. It's a gifted state of being. It's positionally true. Now, everyone who is righteous in Christ doesn't always act righteous. You know that's true, right? 
Just because someone is saved and they become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus doesn't mean they always choose to do the right thing because we are still free moral agents. Okay, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to live out of that new nature. You can still live out of that old nature if you choose to. Okay, but we have been gifted or given a new nature. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You have a new nature. Our union with Christ will produce righteous, holy, set-apart, sanctified behavior. Now, the question that begs to be asked is, does righteousness produce good behavior or does good behavior produce righteousness? That's the, that's the age-old question. Does, does good behavior mean you're righteous or if you're righteous, will you just do good behavior? And I would say the latter, that if you are righteous positionally because you've been born again, you will produce good behavior. Things will change in your life. Maybe not right away, maybe not all at once, but you will begin to change if you've made Jesus Christ Lord of your life. You don't earn righteousness by acting good or being good. If that's the case, you've earned your salvation, and why did Jesus die then if you could earn it on your own? If you could be good and righteous all by yourself, why in the world did Jesus go through what he did? Okay, the answer is you can't, and I can't. So we've got to look to Jesus as the source of our righteousness. It's a right standing with God that God is not holding your sins against you any longer. He's not looking at you. He's not keeping score. He's not saying, boy, they've sure made a mess up this time. You know, that's the third time this week. I don't know. What shall we do? See, that's not what God's doing. God is not keeping score, and he's not going, I don't know. We're going to have to send some calamity their way if they don't stop this pretty quick. No, that's not how God works. God is not holding your sins against you. Many times, the, the, we all can get into this. If you look at the New Testament, the Galatian church, they all fell from grace and they were trying to earn their right standing with God. If you look at the book of Galatians, that's what the whole book of Galatians is about. It's about works-based salvation. So we all are tempted because of our human nature to try to earn favor with God. But you know, God keeps reminding us in scripture that you can't ever be good enough for God and he doesn't expect you to be. He just wants us to trust him. And grace, many times people say, well, if he just let people do whatever they want, what kind of mess is that going to produce? Well, if grace is preached correctly, it should seem borderline scandalous. That's what grace is. The fact that God forgives the guilty and he punished the innocent is scandalous. The fact that he punished Jesus to pay for a thankless person to be saved, that's scandalous. The fact that he doesn't require 
righteous behavior, but rather says, I'm going to give you a new nature and help you be righteous. It's almost like a father or mother when they're working with their two-year-old or three-year-old and they kind of like help them do things and, and just give them the answers as they're doing stuff. You ever seen that? And you got little ones. You do it all the time. I can tell you do. Um, you're helping them with stuff and then you give them the answers and it's not really cheating because they could never get it done by themselves. But you just help them because you love them and you want them to feel good and so you just help them right? That's what God does to us. He helps us. He gives us the power and the grace to live right when in and of ourselves, we could never overcome the things that we need to overcome. He gives us the grace. What came first? The cause of fact thing. See, does righteousness produce good works or does good works produce righteousness? The reality is Righteousness is a gift and it produces good works. Salvation does not come from your doing good works or being right with God does not come from your doing good works. Your good works come from your being right with God. Okay, that's the reality. And, and the cause and effect thing there is the cause is righteousness, the effect is good works. Recently, I was on a, a trip with my wife and we had visited my mother. We were down in Florida, and, and we, were, we had visited my mom. And my mom's 90, pushing 95. She's 94 right now. <clears throat> Didn't have a great relationship with my mom growing up. And um, she's nearing death, and that's always kind of a, that's a tough one for us. But the reality was, I, I, as I was driving to Florida, I, I got a little bit sideways in my own emotions just remembering some of the stuff from my childhood and I was talking to my wife and she pretty much confronted me that I had a bad attitude you know she pretty much said hey you know what you really got a bad attitude towards your mom and I was like who do you think you are you weren't there right so I got a little funky with her and got a bad attitude toward her that's a bad thing to do when you're on vacation you finally get to spend some time with her and I'm being a bonehead being grumpy right but, hey, I'm just confessing my sins. It happens, you know. So I'm a guy. That's what we do. We're boneheads sometimes, right? And all the men said, or all the women said, amen, right? <laughs> You're a little bit too eager back there. I don't know if I like that. But so we, we were, I was a little bit, you know, we were kind of a little bit on the outs a little bit. And I was walking on the beach by myself and uh, just kind of, trying to figure out what, you know, how to get through this, you know, stuff that I was going through in my head. And because, um, you know, stuff that happened 50 years ago is sometimes still affecting you. And that's what this is, stuff from like 50 years ago and literally 50 years ago. And um, as I was walking down the beach, just clear as, a, clear as a bell, the Lord said to me, you know, son, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, Why would you be proud of me? I was a knucklehead to my wife. I'm dealing with unforgiveness toward my mom. And I'm doing all these stupid things right now. And I feel like crap, all right? So why would you be proud of me? You know, <laughs> just because I'm keeping score on myself, right? Don't we do that sometimes? I do. Um, we, I was keeping score and I was batting zero, okay? I was not doing good. And I'm like, I stink right now. And God says, you know, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm like... Why are you proud of me? 
He goes, because you're my son. I, yeah, but I'm, I stink. I'm doing all this stuff wrong. Yeah, he says, yeah, we'll take care of that. I'm just proud of you. And I'm like, you are? And I'm like, he goes, yeah, I'm proud of you. You don't all, you're just, you're walking with me and you're talking with me. You can hear my voice. And I'm just so glad that you hear my voice. And I'm like, well, I'm glad you talked to me. This is cool, you know. And I'm starting to feel better about it. And as I'm just about back to the, to the hotel, he shows me what I got to do. And I walk in the house and I say, honey, this is what it is. I'm so sorry. This is what God showed me. And bang, everything's cool. Literally in 10 seconds, everything's fixed. But my point, the reason I say that story is just this. I had to begin to live out of who I was not out of my behavior, because if I would have lived out of my behavior, I would have stayed condemned. You get what I'm saying? Because I was doing bad. I was not, to me, as a father, I wouldn't have been proud of me. But God was still proud of me. And I, I'm still trying to process that. I'm still trying to understand that whole thing. Okay? I'm just telling you that's where it's at. But God was still proud of me, even though I wasn't really walking and being the person that I know I should have been, right? So I had, to, I had to begin to live out of who I was, not out of what I was doing or out of my performance. And that is a huge critical issue. See, God has made you holy. He's made you righteous. It's a gift. It's not something that you earn. It's a gift. And God is not holding your sins against you. Romans chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Through the obedience of one man, one man, many are made righteous. And that one man that was obedient is Jesus Christ. Through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, many are made righteous. We're made righteous. We've become the righteousness of God, but we're made righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And he's proud of us because we're his. Not because of what we do, not because of how smart we are or the fact that we make good decisions or anything else. He's proud of us because we're his. And that's it, just because we're his. Not because of what we can do for him, but rather because we belong to him and because he has adopted us as his own. And that is a, it's a huge, huge issue. God is not thinking. Today, I just want to say something just to, to bring this in. God is not thinking about what you did wrong this week or this today or anything or in the last 20 years. That's not what he's thinking about. God is not thinking about those things. He is thinking about how much he loves you and how proud he is of you. That's what he's thinking about. And if you look at how much God thinks about us, you look at Psalm 139. It says, All my days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Verse 17, Psalm 139. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I, when I awake, I am still with you. 
If only, and then he goes on to talk about how he wants God to kill his enemies. So we won't talk about that because that's, the, that's, the, um, that's David talking. But he's saying to God, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. And how vast is the sum of them. More than the grains of sand on the sea. That's how much God thinks about you. And he's not thinking about what you did wrong. He's thinking about how much he loves you. He's thinking about the great plans that he has for you. He's thinking about how proud he is of you. That's what he's thinking about. Now we always want to keep score because we're human. But God is not keeping score. He's saying, man, I love them. You know, when I see my granddaughter, I don't think about the stinky diaper she had yesterday. I just look at her and want to kiss her on the head. I don't care. I don't care if she breaks something in my house. I'll just still want to kiss her on the head. Right? Because why? Not because she can do anything for me, because she's my granddaughter. That's it. See, and if we being human can have that kind of love, how much more can God have that kind of love? We're going to sing one song to end tonight. And that song has a, has a phrase in it that's very specific. I am not my mistakes. I am a child of God. And I want you to sing that song with the backdrop of what I've shared tonight. And then we're going to close it up after that. But we're going to sing that song. Jared's going to come and sing that song. I don't even know what the name of the song is. All I know is that's the phrase that we had to sing. So here he is. You have known me before I learned to pray. You have searched me, there's nothing you don't see. You have witnessed my triumphs and my faults, love me through it. mistakes I am a child of God you have called me by name I'm home in my father's heart I am amazed caught in the wonder of your by the power of your touch Father you call me beautiful beautiful you have crowned me with favor and with peace you have silenced the lies I once believed 
stand as we sing this I am not my mistakes I am a child of God you have called me by name I'm home in my father's arms I am a man caught in the wonder of your love by the power of your touch Father you call me beautiful I stand in awe lost in the depths of your mercy the heart is like thunder around me Father you call me you say about me I just want to pray for us before we go and just activate and just let that resonate in our hearts that God calls us beautiful that we are his we're wrapped in the Father's arms and that He's not viewing us through the lens of our mistakes. I'm curious tonight if there's someone that maybe has never received the Father's love, that's never received that, that stamp that says, you're mine. If you've never made Jesus Christ Lord of your life and you say, I want I want that in my life. I want the Father's love. I want that. And I've never made Jesus Lord of my life. I want that tonight. It's available to you today. I'm telling you, it's available to you. If that's you, lift your hand. I'll pray with you right where you are. And you're going to feel the presence of God and God's going to touch you right where you are. We've got a whole house full of believers tonight. That's awesome too. Let's just pray together. Father, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you that you love us, that you're not holding our sins against us, that you're proud of us. Ha! Father, that you're proud of us, that you're not counting our mistakes or tallying up or keeping score. Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. Every day, they're new. So, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses our hearts and minds from dead works so we can serve you, the living God. We thank you for the cleansing stream of, your wa of, of being washed by the water of the word. We thank you, Father, that as we stand in your grace before you, that you call us your own. And that, Father, you empower us 
And you, that, Father, you go before us and you make a way where there isn't a way in front of us. You make a way. Father, you're a supernatural, wonder-working, miracle-working, healing God. And we thank you for your goodness today and that we go out empowered and strengthened and on top of it because you are for us. And we thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.